Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day, welcome to Movember Radio. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is a weekly podcast focusing on men's health and the issues that men face today. There are more than 5 million people worldwide in the Movember community, and each week we speak with someone from that community who is passionate about changing the face of men's health. If you never want to miss an episode, and for old episodes, find them at SoundCloud or on the iTunes store or in the podcasting app of your choice. We'd ask that you take a moment to rate and comment on the show in the iTunes store or simply just tell a friend, tweet about it, put it in a Facebook post, just share it out. Help continue the conversation because that's what we're all about here at Movember. My guest today is Dom Purcell. You can find him on Twitter at Dominic, P-U-R-C-E-L-L. Dom Purcell, you may know him as someone who he plays on television, Lincoln Burroughs from Prison Break or his work uh, on the TV show The Flash or the show Legends of Tomorrow. His on-screen persona is about as tough as you can get. However, under that exterior is a man who has had his own struggles, and you may be surprised when you hear him open up about the anxiety, depression, and alcoholism that came into his life, and that by opening up, talking about, and taking action on those things, by the sounds of it, he not only got his life back, but the tools and discipline he learned to deal with those issues paid him back in spades. Stories like this are the reason that we started this show. Up front, though, my friends, here is a language warning. There's plenty of fruity language in this one. So if fruity language is a bit too much, that's totally fine. There's plenty of other episodes you can listen to. Stop listening now. If you're okay with fruity language, then enjoy this episode with Dom Purcell. Hello, Dom. Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm pretty good. Where do we find you today? Where did you find me? Um, God, I'm in, uh, where am I now? I'm in Venice, Venice Beach. In California. California. Yeah, it's great. I love it. You know, being an Australian, you, you need you need to be near the water and stuff. And, um, you know, I just like to surf and just chill as much as I humanly can. Right. And how, how far away is where you are right now from where you grew up, like both physically and, uh, I guess, you know, metaphorically? It's, uh, it's a 14-hour flight from here directly across the ocean so what are we looking at i don't know i've never actually worked out how far it is but it, it feels a long way yeah. um feels a long way you were born in the uk and you, your parents moved your family out to australia when you were very little what did your father do for work back then in the uh, i'm guessing this is the early 70s mid 70s yeah early 70s dad was uh nor, uh, nor he was nor norwegian 
and um, he he was in the uh, Norwegian Navy, and um, he met my mother in um, Liverpool, uh, and she's Irish. Then he decided to go to Sydney, and um, he he quit the Navy and installed air conditioning ducts in the very young um, skyline of Sydney. And uh, so I grew up in uh, Bondi until I was about six or seven. And then um, they split. And then from there, we uh, moved to um, Penrith. And I grew up... Um, Which is about... West- hang on, let me just say, that's like maybe 20 Ks and 40 years west of the beach. Exactly, man. It was a... I, as I said, I was, I was a six-year-old. I, I had been six, seven. I was playing in the water ever since I could remember. Then all of a sudden, that was taken away from me, and I was surrounded by pubs and barren land. It was it was kind of heavy. Um, but I uh, but I would make we would go to the beach every every weekend. And my nan used to live in Bondi, and so we'd, I'd spend the, you know the grass hill on the the north end. Yes, I grew up on that basically, and uh, the baby pool and all that kind of stuff. So. You know, yeah, it just brings back just, again, just great, great memories, beautiful memories. I spent a bit of time around Bondi a little bit later than that in the early 80s, 81, 82. But I certainly remember, you know, seeing, first becoming aware of men that weren't in my family, like not my dad, not my brother, and just seeing how completely different they were to any man I'd ever seen. Do you remember that? I do, I do. I remember, um, I remember just the physicality of that, that Aussie stereotype being so true. You know, you, you see the commercials, you see the air, remember Max Walker, the air guard, yeah. air guard commercial. Um, don't forget your air guard, Mr. Walker or the, um, uh, you know, that, that iconic big bronzed Aussie dude. Um, you know, you see them all, they're, they're lifesavers. I mean, that, that's what they are. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, and because I didn't have a, my, my dad split, you know, it was all, I was always kind of, in a way, kind of, you know, on a subconscious level, always looking for a, a dad kind of role model, a dad, a dad figure, you know. So it was, it was all, very, um, all very interesting. And there's certainly a lot of machismo back then. I know it doesn't happen now, but back then there was certainly, I guess you could only call them gangs of people who were hanging up the north end, very different from those who hung at the south end. Yeah, I mean, look, I... I mean, I don't know how old you are. I'm I'm 45, so I was born in 1970, and I grew up in the 70s and 80s in Australia, and basically they were they were my formative years. And um, I did what every Australian guy does, you know, you get drunk, you get into a fight, you surf, or if you live by the beach or whatever you do, it's just like a rite of passage, it seems, for most Australian um, men. And um, I did all that kind of stuff, and. You know, um, I don't regret any of it. <laughs> That's for sure. I had so much fun. <laughs> oh, wow. mm-hmm. um, so was was that what what high school was like? Was uh, was it was it that kind of stuff as well before you got into the drinking? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, high school was funny. Uh, I went to, a, ironically, I went to a, a school called St Dominic's College in Kingswood, and uh, Christian Brothers School and. You know, just thinking about how things have changed. You know, back then the whole, the whole, the whole vibe of society has completely changed. You know. Um, well, I went to I went to a Christian Brothers school as well, and I think I was the last generation where uh, a fifty centimeter steel ruler over the back was a 
okay if you weren't doing what they were I telling know. you. Like I look back on that now, and it's just like if that fucking happened now, I mean, there'd be lawsuits left, right, and center. I mean, we would have competitions to see who could get six of the best. And uh, I mean, I remember. I mean, thinking about it now, I have images ingrained into my brain of. Uh, I won't call the teachers out, but I can still remember their names. I still know exactly what they look like. And, man, just getting the strap, the leather strap on your hand, like just just the viciousness of it and uh, how back then you were allowed to do that. And it's just crazy. Like it would, just wouldn't happen these days. No, not at all. Nuts. So when you, when you got out of high school, and I know what it's like to go to one of those high schools, it's very much uh, you've got to do well, you've got to go to you know, university, you've got to go and do only a very small number of courses, otherwise you're not probably going to be a good person in, in, in the world. Was that similar to you? Certainly that was, that was part of the, the philosophy that um, was taught, I think, um, with all of us. Um, you know, you do the standard thing. You go to college, you go to university, you become this, you become that. Um, absolutely. But I was a bit of an anarchist. I've been an anarchist my whole life. Always been a rebel. Always kind of really gone against the grain of stuff. And um, I kind of knew pretty much that I didn't want to go to college. I'd had enough. I mean, it, made, it didn't make any sense for me. I'd already spent 12 years. Why the fuck would I want to prolong it, you know? And uh, all I wanted to do was cut grass and uh, just be a... Uh, a landscape gardener. Uh, that's all I wanted to do, seriously. And um, the whole acting thing was more or less accidental. Well, so you're out there. You're you're doing manly man work. You're sweating yeah. under the brutal Australian sun. Yeah. How does that become acting? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to know the story? I want to know was... the story. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I was dating a model at the time. As you and, do. Uh, as you do. I was very lucky. Very fortunate. Ladies love a tradie, Dom. <laughs> they fucking do, mate. They really do. Um, no, uh, yeah, so I was landscape gardening, and um, I picked it up from a casting. She was in a casting room doing, you know, just for as models and actresses do. They go in there, just, and actors go in there and see if she can get the job. And I was waiting in the waiting room, reading a magazine, and the casting lady came out and said, is uh, that your boyfriend? My, model's, my model girl said, yeah, it is. And she said, well, he has the perfect head for a cigarette commercial. <laughs> And swear to God, and uh, she invited me back into the room to just introduce myself to the camera, and um, I did. And then two days later, I got a call saying, you just picked up this commercial. And uh, it was 50 grand. I, st- I remember that, 50 grand for a week's work in Malaysia. And I'd never been on the plane. I, was, I think I was like 19 or something like that. And um, I, from that point on, it was like, okay. I want to be rich, famous, and I want to get laid. I mean, that was completely my motivation to become an actor. I, I'm not, not exaggerating, not, not going for laughs on that. That was the reason I became an actor. And uh, it was all accidental. And then, you know, then I got into the great drama schools. And, you know, and then at some point there, I really started to take what I did, my craft, acting, whatever you want to call it. I took it very seriously and I had a great passion for it. So who was the first person that told you, you know, when you were in that school, when you were uh, going to that college, eventually you did go to college, and when, when you were there doing yeah. it for acting, something you really wanted to do, who was the first person that went, you know what, Dom, you, you could probably make something of this? Well, I think the first indication was um, the second year. I mean, let, let me preface it by saying that my whole life I've experienced heightened anxiety and 
um, you know, in and out of depression a lot. I've experienced that my whole life. Um, and so drinking for me became a, a, a nirvana, a great escape for me. It was self-medication, absolutely. I loved looking forward to Friday and Saturday nights and just getting smashed and recovering Sunday. And um, So I've been dealing with mental illnesses before I even got to drama school. Um, Did you know what they were or was it just you no, were just a little edgy? They, they were, I mean, I, I had my first panic attack when I was um, 17. And um, I just remember waking up freaking out, like crippled with fear and I had no idea why. And um, back then... and when it happened, as I said, I was a 17 year old and, you know, that kind of stuff wasn't talked about in the media so much, especially around men. Um, all I knew that I just couldn't go to school for those three days for some reason. And, and then as quick as it came, it left as well. So I was like, huh, that's, that was fucking weird. What the hell was that? Anyway, I'll just get on with my life. And I did. And then the next one came when I was in drama school and, um, this was a lot more severe for me. It was, um, it was kind of, I wouldn't call it a nervous breakdown, but it was something I just couldn't cope with a whole lot of stuff. Um, and I couldn't really articulate it at the time. Um, but I left drama school. And um, they had a policy at drama school, whereas once you left the school, you couldn't come back. You couldn't. And so I took the year off. And at the end of it, I really wanted to um, kind of come back. And uh, they made an exception. So in answering your question, it was, I can't think at that kind of point, I remember Lyle Jones, the Dean of the school, um, allowing me to come back. And I was the first one to ever, um, come back, allowed to come back. And because of that, because of their generosity and whatever, I kind of learned a lesson in completing something for the first time in my life. Before that, I'd always quit stuff. You know, I was a pretty good athlete at school and could have done this, could have done that. And but I quit all the, all the sports that I did and um, just didn't have the mental discipline. Um, and uh, in hindsight, a couple of years after I graduated from drama school, became very aware that um, that was a blessing in disguise that I actually got to finish something. And, and since then, uh, you know, I've been very um, resolute, very steely in my determination. Um, and that was a result of that. You, met, you mentioned that you took a year off. I mean, is that the point where you started taking the mental illness seriously? Yeah, the mental illness thing, the, that was, um, I don't know how, I mean, I'm, I'm very open about it. I mean, it probably was a nervous breakdown because I, I went back to my, my mother's place and I basically sat in my room for three months and oh. just didn't want to deal with the world. That's depression, man. That's heavy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, it was, yeah, depression, absolutely. But the horrible thing was, the horrible thing about it was, I didn't know what I was depressed about. I just knew I didn't want to be part of the world. Oh, and, um, so you know, so uh, I did that and, you know, and, and then I, for some reason, I started coming good again, you know, and before well, long, I was, I was functioning and, um, you know, and it was, yeah, so it was at that point that I started to, to take my my condition seriously and I, I i you know i sought knowledge you know so i went to therapy um sought out psychiatrists and and then i started to really kind of study myself and look into myself and tried to explore um what the hell was going wrong with my brain and from that point you're still a young man and you know judging by you know when you told us you were born that was still something that wasn't really talked about certainly in the society that i remember growing up in australia no 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 and you know no no it wasn't 
you know, this, especially the, I, if you look back, the school that I went to, I mean, went to an old boys school, you know, it was very macho, it was footy, cricket, there was, there, there were no, no moments of um, uh, periods of um, reflection for young dudes. I mean, you just don't do that shit. So who do you talk to? Well, you talk to your mom, I suppose, and she looks at you like, what are you talking about? You have a beautiful life. I'm like, okay, all right. And that's about as far as it went, you know? And um, so you had to kind of work it out yourself. And I kind of muscled through and did my thing, you know? That muscling through only works for so long, man. It does, man. It does. And then um, when you start muscling through, you either um, survive or you don't. And uh, for me, it became all about, uh, you know, alcohol and drugs and, that they, they became my, um, really became my escape. And, um, yeah, well, my dad, um, once my dad and, uh, and my mother divorced, you know, he kind of went out of the picture when I was about seven or eight. That was about the last time I saw him. And, you know, in, in the intervening years, I've learned a lot about him. He, you know, he also suffered a lot of depression, anxiety, and a lot of stuff. And he was a chronic alcoholic and, and later uh, died of the disease. Um, cause he grew up in that, he kind of grew up in that, uh, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, Norwegian Navy. I mean, fuck, it doesn't get any more brutal and tough. You know, and I still remember, um, maybe some of your listeners or people listening into this or whatever, some of the locals at Bondi um, would remember the Astra Hotel, the South End, the Astra Hotel. And I'd sit there with my dad and my younger brother with all the um, with all the Maoris. He was really good friends with all the, the local boys. And uh, I'd watch my dad get into fights, you know, and, and not really think too much of it, you know, so that was kind of the guy he was, you know, um, that was his outlet. And I kind of followed in that kind of, uh, in those footsteps for a bit. And later on, I obviously I'm so I'm sober now and I have been for 11 years and I have four beautiful kids and, um, I, you know, I, I think I'm a better version of what I was. Um, I certainly by I don't have all my shit together. There's no way. It's, you know, it's, it's impossible. I mean, I'm a human being. I fuck up it on a daily basis. But I think I'm, I just think I'm just much more aware of it now. You know, I just, uh, yeah. A lot of guys, when they, when they think about their drinking, um, they think about, well, I know the drinking part isn't really working, but I'm just terrified of what happens if I stop. I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I'd go out. I don't know how I'd go to a party. And so they keep going. Yeah. Um, it's true. I never had, I didn't, for me, it was when I, what would they talk about? I'm in the program AA. So basically in a roundabout way, once you hit bottom, it's kind of, you don't really have a choice. So I, I hit my bottom and, uh, you know, um, it was, it was, a, it was just a horrific, gnarly situation. And I- Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. After that, I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't really, uh, deal with the consequences of my actions anymore. So I, so I got sober and, um, the, the hard, the hardest thing about me being sober was I had to slowly, um, walk away and all my drinking buddies, um, would kind of disappear and whatever. And, and after a while I started getting a whole different, different kind of group of friends and mates, you know, they were all, um, just dudes who kind of who had experienced similar things to me, and you know, I'm not saying that I don't have friends that do drink. I do, but um, the core, my core friends these days are people that kind of are in the same kind of position as I am. And there's just so much love and support in that uh, in that community. Were you able to talk with the men around you at the at, at that time when it was when it was that dark? Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean. People experience um, life, or they experience they experience terror in different ways. Fear, fear is a relative thing. Some people experience it in such a way that it it incapacitates them. Some people experience fear where they can function and move forward in it. Um, I got to the point where I couldn't function anymore um, with the fear that I was carrying around. Um, which was the precursor to my heavy need for drugs and um, alcohol. So I knew that if I didn't do something about the, the alcohol and the drugs, you know, there wasn't much hope for me. And I couldn't really sit down and talk to my fellow drinking buddies about that stuff. Um, I would try to get into it with them and they either wouldn't really open up too much about it. They didn't want to know too much about it. Um, they certainly didn't like, um, you know, cast me aside and say, you grow up, whatever. But it was once I got sober and I went to those meetings and I, and I, I was able, I started to really learn to open up and talk about shit rather than kind of keeping it in and, and, you know, being prideful of, you know, you know, I, I walk around and still do, you know, like a dude, like stoic and tough and blah, blah, blah. But when I was younger, the thought of being vulnerable or the thought of saying shit that would be seen as vulnerable or weak was terrifying to me. So um, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm 45 and, um, you know, I'm very, very open about my experiences in life. When, when you are, even now, you know, I know it's a situation where 
you know, I mean, life life comes at you every single day. When you are going through a rough patch, yep. what kind of action do you take to make sure you don't end up in that downward trajectory? It's, it's very, that's a good question because even though I'm, I'm 11 years sober and I've spent a good period of that time, but 11 years sober and a good 15, 20 years working actively on myself, my, my uh, go-to position is when I get depressed or fearful, I, 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 I retreat. I don't want to talk to anyone. Um, but I've been, con- not conditioned, but I've been through the meetings and through professionals, I've been told to exercise talk. When, you're, when, you, when you want to retreat in your bedroom, as much as you want to retreat and as much as you don't want to fucking talk to anyone, get on the phone, talk to a friend, say, listen, dude, I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm just, I'm just having one of those fucking days where I, I can't deal with it anymore. And, and, the, and more often, 99.9% of the time, the dude on the other line, at the end of the phone is there for you. He's saying, well, well, it's okay, man. Let's just talk about it. You know, if your true, your true buddies, your true mates will always, always be there for you, no matter what. And so that's what I do. So when I'm, when I'm hitting those moments of, you know, darkness and I have a lot of them, you know, um, it's just my, it's just my brain. I've accepted that, you know, and, but I have coping mechanisms to, to kind of work around them. And, and the, the biggest one is to talk to my friends. You're a, you mentioned before you're a father. What and you know you talked about you un you know kind of subconsciously perhaps following. However, it happened. You talked about you following a little in your father's footsteps. When you think about your sons, how how do you want them to grow up? Well, I want them for I want them to see me not only as their father but their best friend, their mate, and that's the that's the relationship that I have with my with my boys it's um you know i had that i had that discussion with my son you know he's 15 we talked about the birds and the bees and you wear that johnny you fucking i know that i know at some point you're gonna you're gonna drink you're gonna take a joint you're gonna do that shit that's all good man you know and i just said to him you need to do this shit but let me tell you my story and i sat him down for an hour and i talked about my life and shit and at the end of it, he looked at me and went whoa you know, so I mean, I think that's all we can do as parents is um, I think if you enforce a kind of strict rule on them, there's more chance of rebellion. And that just creates curiosity more than anything else. And I think if you're just uh, if you tell them your side of things and um, that's how I do with my boys, you know, I'm just very honest with them and and my girls as well. You know, so um, I did a lot of fucked up shit. I made a lot of mistakes and, and I tell my boys that. So. That's the kind of thing that I missed, not having a dad. I didn't have that, that, uh, that, uh, I didn't have that example, that, that, that guy that I could go to and say, Dad, look, I did this. And for him to, for, I didn't have that, 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 resonant, that, that voice that said, dude, don't worry about it. I did the same fucking thing. It's okay. Look at me. I'm all right. Life's good. I didn't have that. So when I fucked up, I, was, I fucked up alone. And I just had to just deal with it myself. So when my boys fuck up, which they will, they can come to me and I'll just tell them, hey, man, I did that too. Don't worry about it. Mate, what was it? We're talking here because we're on, on November 8th. I should say that's the kind of thing that I guess any guy would hope for, that kind of relationship with their dad. You, yeah. You're certainly talking about a shift in what dads were to sons from when 
you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago to what dads are to sons now. You you sound like you're very aware of the kind of your boys are growing up into a world of not only alcohol and drugs, but also all kinds of internet porn at, available at their fingertips at any point in time, you know, and teaching them about not only the values of how they feel about themselves, but also their values towards women. You know, these are the sorts of things that never really were taught to, taught to men years ago. No, I agree. I think um, kids these days are so smart. You know, I mean, when I was, when I was my, 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 my youngest, I have twins, they're 11. They're 11 years old. When I was 11, I was so stupid. Like, like I could barely write my name, you know. And kids today, I mean, they just know so much shit. And so if you're not on that train with them, you're just going to be, you're just going to allow them to get into so much fucking trouble, you know. And again, you have to be there as a guider, not as a, uh, 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 someone, I mean, my, my, again, my belief is that, um, you know, you let them fuck up and you tell them it's okay. Cause this is, this, this is life. Well, we, we talked about consequence at, uh, at high school, obviously, you know, there has to be some kind of consequence, I'm sure to their actions. How, how's that different? Well, it's, it's not different. I mean, um, I think providing just it, it's the, it's that whole thing again of of allowing them to make making them realize that um, that it's okay to fail, you know. And we learn from our failures. We that's how we become better at what we do. It's how we become great as people. Um, I think what I'm trying to say is we have to learn what I'm trying to instill it with, or what I'm trying to provide to my kids in a way is not be so brutal on themselves. Because we're human beings, and it harks back to that question that you said earlier about social conditioning when I was younger at high school. You have to go to college, you got to do this, you got to do that. There's way too much emphasis on that, you know. And um, I've always said to my kids, I would much prefer that you study and work as hard as you can and you get zero out of 100 than not study and get 100 out of 100. I'd prefer the first option. So for me, it's all about work ethic and um, not results. Results come. I think it's just more the work ethic and yeah. and uh, not being a dick. <laughs> There's a T-shirt right there. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, mate, what was it? What was it that first drew you towards Movember, Tom? It was it was uh, it was it was it was Jesse. He uh, Jesse Fain, my good friend. Um, he introduced me to it. Uh, he told me about the concept, and I met. Um, you know, the guys at Movember and um, just, I just really fell in love with their uh, philosophy. And, uh, and I love the fact that um, it was something for men. You know, women have always, not always, but, but women are much more, um, uh, uh, much more um, intrinsically open about stuff. They love to have a nap. They love to have a talk. And so there does seem to be a lot of support for women in that kind of world. Whereas for men, I couldn't really see any of it. And um, there's nothing better than having um, uh, uh, role models to look up to. You know, uh, you know, you got you got you got your footy players, you got the AFL guys, you got you know, you get these kind of sportsmen and and just people who are just good dudes um, who are who are showing vulnerability and showing and telling these these young men that look. 
depression, anxiety, fear. It's just part of life. And that's just the way it is. Just like being happy, just like succeeding. You know, I mean, it's anger and happiness are two, um, two emotions that have equal value and equal right. You know, and that's the kind of message that uh, we're trying to get to these guys. So hopefully someone like me who, um, who comes out and says, listen, I've suffered depression my whole life. I did this, I did that. It's just part of the way it is. It's just, it's okay. But it certainly sounds like while that is a part of your life, it's also a part of your life, the way you manage it and those conversations you have around it. That's, that's just a part of your day now. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, um, it all comes down to just being honest, man, and, and, and allowing yourself to be um, vulnerable. You know, um, we have to fight in life. I'm not saying that we shouldn't fight. We must fight. But at the same time, we also have to allow ourselves to, to be real. To the, the more real we are, it, the easier it is for us to get help because people will pick up on shit. You know, they'll, they'll say to you, hey, man, you all right? You feeling all right? And, and, if, and for us to say, obviously, the go-to response, yeah, I'm fine. You know, if someone says to me these days, Dom, you all right? And if I'm feeling all right, I'll say, yeah, I'm feeling fine. But they say to me, Dom, you all right? I said, no, man, I'm fucking terrible. I feel like this. I'm going through that. And that is such a healthy way to look at life and to experience life. And then it comes, again, it comes back to being honest. I, what I, I really enjoy about the show is I get to talk to people who are living examples of having that kind of discipline of looking after themselves. When you look at your career, the, the work you've done on Prison Break, which a lot of people would know you for mostly, and I know you're about to you head into another project, which you can't quite talk about, but I'm sure people will find out about soon enough. Oh, you can talk about it. How, well, well how, important, how important is that discipline in your career? Do you think you'd have the career you have right now if you didn't have this kind of way of looking at yourself and, and the way your brain works? No. Without a doubt, the answer is no. You know, for me personally, um, working on myself was a was an indirect gift. The, the the depression, the anxieties, the fears, I've turned into um, things that have worked for me. And as a result of experiencing all of those emotions, I've had to become disciplined. Because if I if if discipline wasn't my my go-to thing, um, I would collapse. I would cave in. I would implode. I would become that junkie. I would become that homeless dude on the street. I would become, I would be dead. All of these things. The, my only option was to get disciplined, get real, get honest, seek help. And that's discipline in itself. You know, and so I, I, I know my parameters. I know... I know the edges, and I respect the edges, um, and I have to work with, within those parameters, because if I don't, um, I'm going to fuck up, I'm going to implode, life's going to go to shit. I know that, you know, and, and part of that uh, work ethic is, is, you know, I say to my boys that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself a bit of a rap here, so hold on, dudes, people listening in. I was a bit of an athlete when I was younger. I was really, you know, quite good. And I just didn't have the mental strength. I didn't believe in myself. I didn't, I just didn't have that ability, that strength of mind. 
And I tell my boys who are great athletes themselves, um, you know, you got to have the right mental approach. You got to be strong. You have to be mentally disciplined in order to succeed as an athlete. Because there are a lot of athletes. There's so many talented dudes out there who are just brilliant athletes. But if your mind isn't up to speed, you know, you're not going to make it. Mate, it's um. I can't even. I think to to say it's an honor and a privilege to have have this conversation with you would be an understatement, Dom. Like, oh, thanks, man. There's not. I'm grateful that we've got this show going because this is the kind of conversation that I dreamed of having when we made this show. So, oh, brilliant! Mate. Thank, thank you. you, thank you very, very much. We finish all of these conversations with the same three questions. Uh, yeah. In November, what kind of mo do you grow? It's a, it's a big fucking Merv Hughes number. Uh, but it, it's the kind, it's the kind of moustache that I have the opinion that sport is generally better with moustaches. I agree. And Merv Hughes's moustache was he was a fast bowler. So if you saw this man, he's six foot five or something. Oh, he's a monster! Yeah. If you saw this man running at you, about to deliver a ball at one hundred and ten kilometers an hour, yeah, yeah. that's one thing. But to do it with that moustache, terrifying. The moustache and the gut—it was <laughs> priceless. Him and Booney. I mean, see. That's the age that I grew up, where yeah. men were men. <laughs> and moustaches were that. When it comes to your mates, what's the thing that you appreciate most in your mates, Dom? Um, that they're there to tell me that I'm being a fucking idiot. <laughs> they just call me out, you know? I think, I think a true friend gives you constructive criticism, and you don't take it as offense. You know, you really listen to what they say. Uh, that's... That's a true friend. And a final question. If you could magically pick up your cell phone and speed dial 18-year-old Dom Purcell, what would you tell him? Um, I could be really funny, but I would, I'm not going to be funny. I would honestly say to him, um, relax, man. It's going to work out. You're, you're, you're good. Awesome. Mate, it's been an absolute privilege to speak with you today, Dom. Thank you so much for your time. That was Dom Purcell. Find him on Twitter at Dominic Purcell, P-U-R-C-E-L-L. If you like the show, tweet him. Let him know. Uh, He's quite active on social media and he's not afraid of a chat, so let him know. Or you can uh, leave a comment and a rating in the iTunes store. That really helps us out. Or simply tell a friend. Grab their phone. Show them how to download the show. That'd be great. I'm very grateful that I could share this conversation with you, though it should never replace a conversation with your own doctor. You can find us on Facebook by searching Movember and for other episodes, MovemberRadio.com or find us on SoundCloud, iTunes or your favorite podcasting app of choice. Movember Radio is produced by myself, Oshie Ginsberg and Molly Hindman with Lavanya Nagendran. Music is by Toe Hider. Audio production on this episode was by Lotta Haig. Have a great week. Take care of yourself. Talk to you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 